Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, September 6. Be thoughtful when communicating with others. Absent-mindedness induces vagueness, which produces chronic failure. Mean what you say, and say it with focused attention. Thus you will develop the power to succeed at everything you attempt. Now look at what Swami says here. Be mindful in communicating with others is the first sentence, and the last sentence is you will develop the power to succeed at everything you attempt. I mean, those are, and there's just, and it's a short saying. It's not like he spent a whole page giving you all the logical bridges between that first and last sentence. <laughs> if you'll excuse my saying, Mamma Mia, you know, he does this to us a lot in this book. He just sort of lures you in with something that seems small, but the consequence of it ends up being enormous, which the, the opposite is also true. Inattention, you know, a, a failure to um, conform with what seems to be a small um, idea will have really big consequences at this end. So what Swami's talking about here is a principle of, I'm going to say spiritual life, but a principle of life. Um, I'll even, it's a truth about human nature. When I was 18 years old, just, just turning 19, the, the first time in my life that somebody told me something that was true, now I don't mean, you know, the capital of North Carolina or when a certain battle was fought or two plus two equals four, there were lots of, tr- quote, true things I was taught in school that were lots of true facts. But I, from a very young age, I was a truth seeker. I wanted, I wanted wisdom. I just didn't want knowledge. I remember, I mean, this was, this was sort of like epitomized my whole education because I pretty much feel that I learned nothing growing up. And I learned to sew and I learned to type, two things that proved pretty useful. But in terms of my intellectual education, it was my fault too. But people weren't teaching me things I wanted to know. And I believe it was in the fifth grade. Maybe I was about 10, so I think that's about the fifth grade. And the teacher was teaching us about the possibility. She was trying to teach us the scientific basis of life. And I, I learned so little. I remember so little of what I was told. But it had to do with chemical properties and the need for air and just various things. And so as a consequence of whatever these criteria were for living, for creatures to live, the teacher said that there was, there was no other life anywhere except on planet Earth, because only on planet Earth, now bear in mind this would have been the early 50s, planet Earth, mid-50s, planet Earth was the only place in which all these conditions exist, and therefore the only place where life existed was on planet Earth. That seemed like a preposterous statement to me. It also seemed preposterous to me for this simple reason, so I raised my hand and said to the teacher, and my belief is her name was Mrs. Pugh, and I've always admired anybody with the last name of Pugh who had the courage to teach little children. (laughs) Can you imagine being named Pugh? Anyway, that was what her name was. 
So Mrs. Pugh, I raised my hand and I said, couldn't there be a planet where the conditions were entirely different, but life had adapted to those new conditions? She said, no. <laughs> and that's all she said was no. And I just sort of looked out the window and thought, this woman has nothing to teach me. How could the answer be no? I mean, just the tiniest bit of imagination would cause you to say, of course, that's possible. She could have then told me what the reasoning was as to why it wasn't likely. But just to say no, as if this is that, you know, in the sixth grade, what they already know is the end of it. It was just, well, it was infuriating to me is the only thing I can say. But when I was 19 years old, just before, someone handed me a book, and it was a book by uh, Swami Vivekananda, who was a foremost disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna was a great avatar who, who lived at the end of the 1800s in India. And he, I don't know what else was in that book, but I learned several points that completely changed my life. And one of them was, what you are today is the result of what you did yesterday, and what you are tomorrow is the result of what you're doing today. And it was the first time somebody had given me a clue about how I could actually take my fate in my own hands and direct it. it seems fairly self-evident to me today, but it was the beginning of my understanding the law of karma, cause and effect in human relationships. Now, just a moment, let me find the thought that I was coming to here. Later on, Yogananda, when I began to study Master's teachings after I met Swami, Master said, take care of the minutes and incarnations will take care of themselves. And that one, I mean, I've thought about that a great deal because that's probably, well, you can pull out many different statements. But for me, that's been one of the most important statements that I know. And when, when people ask me, how do, you, how do you be successful on the spiritual path? How do you persevere for 50 years and feel like you, you're really doing something, not just marking time, waiting till your life is over? It's because you take care of the minutes. That we think there's this huge flow of time and eternity and incarnations and karma that has to be worked out. And, you know, just, ah, you're just really completely overwhelmed with it. But it's a series of minutes. And what I do in this minute is going to influence the next one. What I do in that minute is going to influence the next one. It's a little bit like I've written now four books, but the first book I flailed around for several years and just I could never manifest it. Finally, that karma ended and I was able to manifest it. But a large part of the problem was I didn't understand. I thought if you write a book, it's like you sit down in the morning and then voila, in the afternoon, you have a book, you know, all just designed with the cover and everything, that somehow you just manifest a book. And it, of course, it's ridiculous, but that thought form was just totally confusing me. And gradually I understood that a book is written one word at a time. I mean, literally, you're typing or you're writing, and, and it's, in, it's impossible to write more than one word at a time. Even if you're dictating it, it has to be said one word at a time. And if you keep putting the next word in order by whatever method you're using, after a while you look behind you 
You have sentences, paragraphs, pages, finally a manuscript, and you have a whole book. Even though it was self-evident after I finished, it was not self-evident when I started. Once I got that a book is written a word at a time, all of a sudden, oh, I can do that because I can write one word at a time. I, I don't feel that I can write a book, but I can write one word at a time. And I just kept doing it, and then something else happened. So in our lives, we may have this thought in our mind that I have to realize God. I have to always think about God. I have to be calm and centered under all circumstances. I have to welcome everything that comes to me. I have to not be afraid of my karma. I have to love everyone, but I have to be impersonal in the way I love them. And I have to, you know, you just, bleh, you just don't know what to do. You're just completely overwhelmed. But if you think minute by minute, what habits am I doing? What am I expressing now? Who am I? And knowing that tomorrow is the result of today, that an hour from now is the result of this hour. So Swami gives us something really, really small. Be thoughtful when communicating with others. Absent-mindedness induces vagueness. Now think about it. And multitasking, oh my gosh, is just terrible, especially multitasking with all the electronic opportunities that we have. You know, it's a our school teacher, we have a school for children and a high school here, and the middle school teacher was talking to me about, I mean, they do it, they, I have to say first, they've done a stellar job, but it's not the same. And he said, you know, they're there on Zoom, and you can see that a child is doing something else while he's supposed to be listening to your class because his eyes are flickering around. I've been on the phone with people, and, I can say, and suddenly I say, are you checking your emails? because I can just feel that they're checking their emails. You know, every so often when I've been involved in something that was not interesting to me and I could do something else, even if I have done something else, I try to iron, you know, or just do something else, but not something that actually takes my mind off of what's happening. Because as soon as you take your mind off of it, you're absent-minded in one area of your life, at least. And especially if you see it gets to be a habit, even if you're not multitasking, but somebody's talking to you and you're just not listening. You know, you're not paying attention. Your mind is somewhere else. Or even when you're talking and you're just talking. And so then we went over there and then after that we did this and we met Mrs. Jones. You know, Mrs. Jones, she has a new hat. I don't really know what she's... It's like, my God, that's not communication. That's just, I don't know, turning on the faucet and letting the water run. You know, communication means that you're paying attention to who's in front of you, that you're not talking, you're communicating. And communicating is completely different than talking. Communicating is having an idea in your mind that you want to convey to someone. And then when they speak to you, you're listening. You're actually trying to understand. You're trying to make a union of spirit. Much of communication is vibratory connection. That's why multitasking just takes you right out of what you're doing, just takes you right out of it. You know, I, I find that I can listen very carefully to a conversation and iron at the same time. That's about, that's about the only thing I can actually do and not, and not stop listening. But sometimes keeping my hands busy is like knitting or like needlepoint. It, it allows that energy to expend itself and then I can put really put my intention. I have to sort of... Um, 
put that as a caveat so the next time I'm on the phone and somebody hears me ironing, they don't, they don't quote this back at me. But absent-minded is something completely else. Because then you see it also becomes a habit. Whenever something is not, doesn't, doesn't capture your attention, you just let your attention wander. Now, it's quite different if you're Einstein and you're lost in the contemplation of the universe, you know, over the dinner table. That's quite different. But most of the time when we're not listening, it's not because we're somewhere else. It's because we're nowhere. And just, it's, it's a little scary sometimes when we just don't remember what really happened. I was in the community room over here and I had some, I had some plums in my hand and I set them down on the table then I picked up the plums, and I had actually carried one more item in to the community room and put it into a mailbox. And this subconsciously, I had plums and. So I picked up the plums, and I simultaneously picked up a small package that wasn't mine. I just picked it up, because subconsciously I remembered that I had plums and. So I picked up the plums, and I picked up this other thing, and I was, you know, like maybe 15 steps out, and I looked down, and I'm like, I'm carrying Daniela's package. Why do I have Daniela's package? But the most appalling thing was I had done the whole thing without knowing it. You see? And when, once that becomes a habit, you have a very serious problem. Because if absent-mindedness becomes a habit, then you don't have any power at any time. That's why Swami said, practice at all times being 100% present. Because if you get in the habit of being 100% present, no matter what you put your mind to, you will be totally there. And you will literally, just as he said, you will develop the power. There's the power of truth. There's the power of concentration. There's the power of attunement. And if we can't practice when it's easier, it's not going to automatically come to us when it's difficult. We have to build, like at all times, we have to build the power not to be absent-minded, but to be absolutely present. And of course, with other people is an ideal time to, to practice that. You think of, when you're talking to someone, use the word communication. Because talking is not communication. Communication is a concentrated, conscious, focused exchange of energy. And when you develop the ability to have a concentrated, constant focus of energy, then you develop the power to do anything. So Swami says, be thoughtful when communicating with others. Absent-mindedness induces vagueness, which produces chronic failure. Mean what you say and say it with focused attention. Thus you will develop the power to succeed at everything you attempt. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support ASHA, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.